when I was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this, but there were dark forces tampering with my podcast and with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world, but it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap slash review some movies. I'm your host, as usual, Stephen Schinder. And joining me for this particular episode where we're talking about Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, it is Mr. Multiverse. How are you doing? I am good. Thanks for having me on. This is a, this is a first. Uh... So, uh, to quote Ant-Man, thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> yeah, can we just take a moment to appreciate how great the Ant-Man movies turned out to be? Like, I know people were, like, scoffing at it when it was announced, but, like, I, I was, like, somewhat familiar with, like, Ant-Man, the concept, and I was like, yeah, it's gonna be really fun. Like, Marvel's done pretty well so far, you know? That's what I never got, especially after Ant-Man the Wasp, when people were like, oh, what, you know, why did it have to come after Infinity War? That's stupid. And I'm like, no, we needed something like um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, but kind of like chill. It was like a nice little cherry on top after having a giant ass like dinner. So it was like something just to lighten the mood. People forget that these movies are meant to be fun. Yeah, it, it was sort of the comic relief movie that people needed after the dreariness of infinity war and it ended up tying in really nicely with that and with Endgames. like it ended up being more important than people i guess initially expected and it worked it was actually yeah it was like a seamless transition between the two avengers movies so so i guess we can start by like saying what we've thought of like the marvel cinematic universe overall just in general um so, like, what's been your experience with the MCU and, I guess, Marvel as a whole, if you want to talk about that a bit? I guess, like, for me, I've been in it since Iron Man. Like, since seeing Iron Man when I was um, back in way back in 2008, where the idea of an Avengers movie was, like, unheard of. And then we got it. And now it's like, an Avengers movie? <laughs> what's that? But pe some people don't <laughs> think, like... Like people don't think like way back when Iron Man first came out and they said the buildup was going to be an Avengers movie. No one thought for a damn second that it was going to explode into this. Now I will be the first to admit that not every Marvel movie is perfect. Um, there are some where I'm just like, I don't care for it. Um, or I'll watch it once and be like, that's enough for me. 
Um, but I, on a whole, I think it's been doing very well. For cinematic universes, this is probably like the most consistent and um, and well-balanced. I've been liking WandaVision. I know everyone's like, oh, it's too slow. And I'm like, really? Where was this when you guys were, when Mandalorian <laughs> was coming out weekly? No, really, like, people, like, I don't hear anyone talk about, like, oh, the weekly wait for Mandalorian, but but God help you if it's, like, WandaVision, like, oh, it's too slow, WandaVision's too slow, and I'm like, where was this during Mandalorian coming out the two seasons, hmm? It's like when I saw all those complaints from some of the fans in these groups, it was like, what what were they expecting the show to be? Like, it, it was no secret that it would be, like, homages to sitcoms, but if there would be more to it, like, beneath the surface, and it is like WandaVision uh, feels to me like Twin Peaks and that it can go from like super goofy to super unsettling um, with like a snap of a finger. And then you had like episode four and people were like praising that. And it's while it was good, it felt to me like the spoon feeding episode. Um, but yeah, you know, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and all the upcoming stuff. I'm, like, pretty much all in with the Disney Plus MCU stuff. Like, it feels like they're doing more to connect the TV and movie side of things. And, like, it really is, like, a masterclass of, like, how to do the cinematic universe. And here's the other thing I'm going to say about WandaVision, and we're going to talk about this again whenever Loki shows up on Disney+. Plus. I think the MCU has gotten to the point where it can be experimental and weird, right? Like, yeah. it's allowed to be that, right? It's a, It's been, like, what, um, over 10 years? I think it's time to have something a little new. So um, that's what I'm mostly here for, is just the weirdness of WandaVision, and I'm looking forward the most to, to Loki, of just how, like, how trippy that's going to be. And we're dealing with dimension, apparently alternate universes from here on out. So get used to the weirdness is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, like that's gotta be hopefully weird, you know? Yeah, and Spider-Man 3 is apparently going to deal with dimensions. So which I'm half and half about the idea of Spider-Man 3 being a live action Spider-Verse movie. We had it perfect the first time. We don't need it again. Right, but I think for some people, like, part of it is the nostalgia of seeing McGuire and Garfield. Like, regardless of what they may have thought of their films, like, for some people, it's just nice to see some familiar faces, which which is kind of like with Star Wars, I guess. Like, you know, they're bringing back, uh, like, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, and it's it's kind of like that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I was. Just, I'm just saying, like out loud, like we've done Spider Verse before. It was perfect the first time. I don't. I don't need a live action version of it. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see. Like everything we've been hearing is that like pretty much everyone and their mother and father are in it. So it's like, uh, could they? Could this work? Will it feel too cluttered? Like I don't know. But we'll just have to wait and see. I guess. Did you, Steven, did you ever see that meme of of the meme with the Kevin Feige, like, reaching out of the screen at, the screen at you? Like, yes. it's a Kevin Feige has announced that you will be in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if only, I, I would love to be paid by Marvel Studios for something. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they haven't, they haven't announced uh, Vermin, and I'm willing to play Vermin. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that'd be. Uh, I, I would probably just be some random bystander during like some action sequence, like on the sidewalk or whatever. I probably wouldn't even be that interesting. If I'm no, being you, honest. You become like Spider Man would swing by. And was like, hey, Spider Man just stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> yeah, that that was such a good joke. I love Spider Man too. Um, if, it, but, if it wasn't for like Spider Verse, Spider Man Two would be my favorite. But that's Spider Man Two is like the number two for me for Spider Man movies. I don't know where um, any of the Spider Man movies rank for you. Oh yeah, for me it's Into the Spider Verse, and then Spider Man Two, and then Far From Home, Spider Man One, and then. I think Amazing Spider-Man 1 and then 2, or maybe it's the other way around, I'm not sure, and then Spider-Man 3. Um, oh, and then after Spider-Man 1 is Homecoming, so that would be above the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Huh. See, I would. It, it, people are going to hate me for this, but like the lowest Spider-Man movie for me is Amazing Spider-Man. I just rank Spider-Man 3 just a one thing above it because i think it's a little more and this is going to sound weird because that has just too many hands in the cookie jar but it feels like there's a like more of a structure and the action scenes feel a little more fluid like especially that second fight between sandman and spider-man yeah i could see that for me it's just that it like okay this is really funny but when i originally saw spider-man 3 uh when i was like uh 12 and a half when it came out I thought it was, like, the best Spider-Man movie ever, but, like, over the years, it's become, like, my least favorite. Like, I do think it's watchable for the memes and the silliness of it, but as a story, I feel like Peter Parker is really off-putting. Like, he's a jerk even before he gets a symbiote, and oh like, yeah, there's, there's just a lot about it no that, about that doesn't really work, but, um, yeah, I don't know, that's just me, I guess. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm just saying, like, for me, part it's still a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just, <laughs> and maybe I just haven't seen it in a while. Like, maybe my maybe next time I do, I do this list in my head from wet from best to worst, maybe Spider-Man Three will be at the bottom. But it's like second on the shit tier list. <laughs> yeah, my my friend James, uh, who was on the Kingsman episode, he recently said, "I just love awful movies." <laughs> we watched this uh parody movie from 1994 called the silence of the hams and that was a trip <laughs> it's so surreal and unpredictable it's it's something you guys seriously need to watch like some asylum movies <laughs> yeah I, like... the only one i've seen is zombies because uh, my friend zach from ipc um like i i won the dvd for that in like his podcast giveaway thing and he <laughs> recorded like his own commentary for me to listen to while watching it so that's like the only asylum thing i've watched but i know there are like a bunch of others i need to check out like the sharknado ones oh like you need to watch their asylum version of the like like they do parodies of avengers and suicide squad but it's like yeah. with fantasy <laughs> like grim fairy tale characters yeah it's so strange yeah i think the majority of their catalog might be on tubi which is free to watch and legitimate so i like i just need to set aside time for it really um but anyway we're talking about shang chi and the legend of the ten rings <laughs> so oh yeah 
the thing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they go on tangents on this podcast, and it's lots of fun. Longtime listeners already know that. Uh, so this came out for like the beginning of the Chinese New Year, and it even begins with Shang Chi and like his parents like celebrating the Chinese New Year. So we get to see like some of their traditions and like the festival and fireworks. And I thought it was a really nice way to open the movie. You know, it's a standard kind of movie, and it's a standard like especially when we're doing like I've seen this a lot in like um American move kung fu movies where we celebrate the start of the new year, and I'm like, oh, we're doing this again. Nice to play safe, Marvel, <laughs> or stereotypical. Yeah, I I guess I could see how it might be, like, predictable. Uh, I guess I'm just not used to seeing it that much in mainstream movies, but but felt like it was presented in a really nice way. And you see, like, the rip family relationships and bonds, and it added layers to the character. And it makes it even more tragic when, like, it goes forward a couple months to, like, the time of the snap and you see Shang Chi like lose his parents and they become dust. Yeah. It was especially hard to watch his one scene of like holding his mom, like as she's begging, don't let go of me. Don't let go of me. And then he's just holding, and then he's like, I won't let go. And then he's just holding air. Yeah. Like when Spider-Man turned to dust in, um, in Infinity War, I thought it was kind of funny, but here it definitely felt really sad, even though uh, we knew that the blip would be coming later on. But I thought this was an interesting way to show Sh- Shang-Chi's evolution. Like it, like it kind of makes him cynical for a time. And it's like, if people can just disappear like that, then what's the point of everything? And it makes him vulnerable to joining the Ten Rings organization over the next five years uh, before his parents reappear again and then he like has to like reevaluate anything it's like a really interesting inner turmoil that he's experiencing yeah uh, the uh, the one thing that bothered me about this movie is like shang chi the whole point of shang chi is that his hands are the most dangerous weapons he has he doesn't need a gun why is he using a gun um, and I know it's a, it's a movie. It's a movie based in a in a the Marvel movie universe. It's a different universe from Six One Six, but like at the same time, it just irks me. Like y'all know he's a kung fu artist, right? In the comics, come on, Feige, step it up. <laughs> yeah, it it does feel like kind of a hybrid of like he's really good at kung fu, but also hey, he has a gun, I guess. And I'm like. There's even moments where I'm like, I'm waiting for him in the beginning, in the opening scene, when they're like breaking into that facility for the Ten Rings. And he's just going around blowing people away. And I'm like, okay, you could clearly like this movie was it was paid off to be like some big kung fu movie. But yet here I am watching shooting. If I want to watch a Marvel character shoot people, I'd go watch The Punisher again. again all right. Right. Yeah. Frank Castle. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I guess it was their way of showing that like he's kind of in a dark place at the beginning before he well like i kind of compare it to daredevil where like in or i guess we could say with a punisher uh comparison where like in his first appearance like throughout daredevil season two he's in a really dark place and then it's not until uh 
Punisher's first season that we see that he's becoming like the Punisher that we expect, if that makes sense. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like we've done we did that whole action sequence better and without gun the use of guns in Endgame with with the uh, Ronin, you know, with Clint Barton being Ronin. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me who th- who just had that scene uh, like when he's oh what was it like at the ending scene where the guy like pulls out the knife and is about to be like all right let's go hand to hand and he just Shang just pulls out the gun and just shoots him in the head I'm like wow I feel ripped off right now yeah that felt very Indiana Jones (laughs) you know Raiders of the Lost Ark (laughs) yeah it's almost like Kevin Feige was like huh huh we were we, we also owned by the same guy who owns Lucas isn't that funny yeah, they do like rubbing in the Star Wars connections. Like when Peter Parker is like, hey, remember that old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? And it felt, that line felt kind of cringy to me, if I'm being honest. It, it still does for me. And like when they reference Alien, I'm like, and keep in mind, this was like right when the buyout happened for Fox. Yeah. Like when they get <laughs> that cringe line for Alien, I'm like, okay, we get it. You own Fox now. You have Star Wars, Disney. We get it. You don't need peter parker to just stop it but it's funny it's all these lines are coming from the one character they don't have the movie rights to yeah i didn't even think of that but that's hilarious so the 10 rings organization is was first alluded to as like a terrorist organization in the first iron man movie and what you think of like the presentation of the mandarin here compared to like previous like quote unquote i just messed that up i'm gonna edit that out a quote unquote um mandarin appearances slash teases in like earlier in the mcu well it's fine it's finally nice to see that picked up again um that we haven't really had a pickup on that since that little iron man 3 short that basically said yes there is a real mandarin out there you you just haven't seen him yet and here in on a personal level i'm I'm sad that we never got Mandarin in the Iron Man movies. That's like his arch nemesis. Like, why did we never get like the real Mandarin? Um, but here it's like he's menacing. He's um, he's terrifying. He is like everything I wanted from um, the Mandarin to see finally in the MCU. He's imposing. He's he's clearly he has the rings. But what I like is that he is just offing people with just his bare hands. And I'm like. Thank you. Yeah, like like it shows that he can do stuff even without the use of the ring's powers. Like he still uses them, but he's still like really good at like hand-to-hand combat. And yeah, like I'm with you. I'm really glad that they finally picked this up because when Iron Man 3 was coming out and like by then I was like aware of the Mandarin. Like I, um, backtracking, like a Marvel Ultimate Alliance was my introduction to like the larger marvel universe like before then i'd only seen the spider-man movies and then uh that game showed me like whoa all these characters are in the same universe and so learned about the mandarin there and saw him in invincible iron man or whatever that animated movie was called which was pretty bad yo Um, yeah it was terrible like um did you ever watch that iron man armored adventures that kid that one where tony stark is basically spider-man I know of it, but I haven't watched it. Uh, I have seen the 90s one, which is kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like when it seemed like Mandarin would finally be in Iron Man 3, it was 
kind of weird because it's like, wait, he's played by an English actor here. And then it turns out to be a fake, uh, like an actor uh, pretending to be the Mandarin. And then you have um, a Killian later saying, I am the Mandarin. Like, it's like a from a certain point of view thing. And it's like, I felt ripped off, like watching Iron Man 3. And uh, I felt let down. And then uh, they did that short, All Hail the King, which backtracked and said no there is a real mandarin out there and for a while i wasn't sure if they would ever pick up on that and this felt like it it paid off finally which was like like i just appreciated having this like yeah the mandarin with the actual 10 rings with like uh which can do like ice blast hypnosis electro blast flame blast white light sonic blast impact beam vortex beam disintegrator beam and black light uh and it's like um i read that off a list uh in case you listeners were wondering <laughs> but but yeah it's like yeah like they went all in and did it in such a way where it fits with like the modern movies you know yeah most definitely the one thing that was like i'm surprised they got away with this in the movie of just how violent it, it seems is like they brought guy pierce back to play killian and only to have him like strapped up to some weird stolen Chitari tech, which I'm like, wow, we're finally bringing back the j- stolen Chitari tech thing again. And they've got him hooked up to like a machine that's like keeping him alive, but not like he's in a state of like, tra- of like, how did they describe it? Like it was a mass of energy, like he's everywhere, but nothing at the same time. And he feels just constant pain. I'm like, damn, that is dark. Yeah, it's like there were even moments where like you see like these expressions on his face. It's like, yeah, like you can tell it's excruciating and like real props to like his acting right there. Yeah. Also, like, I guess Guy Pierce just needed a check. So (laughs) Um, um, but we also made it. Yeah, don't we all? (laughs) I, I love how like like Killian is like screaming out from this machine like just let me die just let me die and he said and Mandarin's just like oh I'll let you die a couple hundred more times and just turns up the volume on the machine yeah (laughs) yeah the Mandarin is very menacing but also has like his own twisted sense of humor but it's not like the normal kind of Marvel humor that we see it's like it's kind of like if you see darth vader's twisted sense of humor and it works it's like still menacing it doesn't feel out of place there actually is like an i don't know if this was meant on purpose to be a star wars reference but that scene later in the movie where he like breaks the gu- one guy's neck after trying the mandarin he like bows to the mandarin and it's like i'm i'm apologizing to you and he grabs him by the throat and just crushes his throat drops on the ground and goes apology except was that yeah. i feel like that to be a straight up star wars reference yeah that apology accepted thing ha- has to be a star wars reference like we know kevin feige just loves star wars and so does everyone i guess um yeah. but and yeah may i say and i know we're going to talk more about the mandarin later in the movie but may i just say it's so nice to have a unsympathetic villain again in in just a marvel movie um it's just so nice to see a villain where like i know thanos is like oh, you know, he's the big bad and pure evil and thank God they didn't try to redeem him or anything. Um, <laughs> that would have been damn stupid. Um, 
but it's just nice to have a villain where you're like, no, you got to stop him. It's not like with some people who like with Thanos who are like, no, I get where he's coming from. Him. No, you don't get because Dan- uh, Mandarin is just like, I'm I'm just evil. I am just a monster. Yeah, it's like there are little allusions here and there to like him possibly having a rough past, but they don't dive into it that much because uh, I think they figured that like for a character like this, there's like you can benefit from the mystery. It's like the Hannibal Lecter thing where like in Silence of the Lambs of the book anyway, he says, nothing happened to me, Clarice. I happened. You cannot reduce me to a set of influences. Um, You know, that was like long before Hannibal Rising just effed that up, you know? Yeah, I, oh, Hannibal Rising. Oh my, um, (laughs) um, there's a throwback. (laughs) If you want to see a movie that just character assassinates a great character, Hannibal Rising. But here's the other thing, and we'll go into the after credit later, but like, I love the little allusion to like when he's talking to Shang for the first time before their like first big fight. He's like talking about the rings, how he found them, and they're like, and Shang, I like how he brings up, are those Infinity Stones? Because obviously, I get like I guess the knowledge would be known by now about them. So he's like, those are supposed to be like Infinity Stones. No, I did get them out of a ship, which is, for those who don't know about um, the Mandarin's origin, the Makluan rings are actually alien in origin. So I'm glad they actually bring up the like alien origin of the rings. Yeah, because we've had aliens in the mcu for several years now so it's nice that they're at a point where they're not trying to make it more earthbound like they've done with like other marvel movies outside of the mcu um and i even remember i don't know if this was before iron man 3 came out or maybe after but i remember speculating that one of the infinity stones would be like one of the rings for the mandarin to use or something and that ended up not being the case but i mean i'm happy with how they did it here yeah i'd have been feel like i'd have felt like if they did with the infinity stone thing i'd have been like all right so we're just going to vision mandarin if that was the case (laughs) um but no it was really cool and again we'll talk about later like the rings connection to the post-credit scene but um i i'm appreciative that they're like getting it's like it's it's almost like they're apologizing for effing up the mandarin the first time around yeah and it would have been like i get that mandarin is mainly an iron man villain and people have made the comparison between this and like oh spider-man is dealing with people who have been wronged by iron man and it's it kind of feels like repetitive in a way but I just loved Tony Leung's acting as the Mandarin. He was just so good in this. And I was just like really into it. I didn't really matter to me that it wasn't Tony Stark going up against him. Like I was still invested in this like Shang-Chi versus Mandarin conflict. Yeah. I mean, I I fully acknowledge that this is a alternate universe, so you just got to deal with it. But like, I feel like they're finally doing Iron Man stuff without Iron Man, like Armor Wars. That's a big Iron Man story arc, but we're doing it with War Machine. And I'm saying and I'm not saying like, oh, War Machine shouldn't have it. But I'm like, that should have been Armor Wars should have been Iron Man 3. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe in Marvel's what if we could it could be like, what if Iron Man hadn't died and maybe we'll see him similar stories like these i don't know 
you know, that's another good possibility. I, I actually didn't think of that. Yeah, um, and I, I know it's animated and not live action, but, it, you know, it could still be a really compelling episode or whatever to watch on screen. Like, I'm really excited for Marvel's What If. It just seems like it's full of possibilities, you know? Yeah, that's well, that's the whole point of What If is all of possibilities, but um, I'm just excited to see a Watu kind of in the MCU finally. But I guess, like, if you want to talk about other villains real quick, um, you want to talk about Razor Fist real quick? Oh, yes, let's. Razor Fist was... Well, he did his job. I mean, the the fight sequence between him and Shang-Chi in the midway through the movie, that goes on par with a lot of, like, like Ip Man or... Um, did you, have you ever seen the Ip Man movies? I know of them, but I haven't seen them. This is on par with the action sequences in there. Oh, okay, nice. And the Razor Fist in this movie is... Um... William Scott and you know he has a backstory of like he and his brother Douglas like each lost a hand in a car accident and like his brother's dead by now so I guess in this case Razor Fist kind of has a bit of that sympathetic backstory but I also appreciate that they didn't focus on it too much so it's kind of like yeah he had a sad backstory but he's also doing really terrible stuff so i'm like rooting against him and it just looks really cool him with like the long knife and like doing combat with shang chi it's like really intense yeah two things that really made me go oh wow was one the scene where razor fist is like interrogating people and he hears crying upstairs and he goes one moment he goes upstairs there's silence and then he comes back down wiping his fist off and the other scene, and this was a fun little nod, and I, and again, it teases like, oh, we're going to be doing it sometime, is the, um, like, the three marks on the three, like, slashes on his back. And he's, and, so, and one of the Ten Ring members, how'd you get that? And he goes, I want to meet the guy. Because for those who don't know, Razor Fist is a, like, C-list Wolverine villain, too. So that was a clear reference to Wolverine. Yeah, and, and you really got to wonder, like, how are they going to bring like wolverine into this eventually but it seems like they're laying the seeds for that which gets me really excited and of course lots of people are like fan casting like who could play wolverine and they're pretty much fan casting everyone but it's like we'll we'll see it when it happens i guess yeah complete with the 90s theme song dude i'm just saying like if they ever do a marvel studios x-men movie I want them to just do an action sequence with the 90s theme playing. Like, them yes. just, it's an action sequence, and it's them just destroying Sentinels. Yeah, well, like, I was hoping that they'd include that theme uh, for Dark Phoenix, since that was set in 92. But in hindsight, it wouldn't have really fit. And I do love Hans Zimmer's music for that movie, um, but... We, I guess the closest that we got to it in, like, live action is in the first episode of the gifted i think it's like someone's ringtone but it'd be cool for them to like bring it back in like a future uh mcu x-men movie like i would really dig it yeah just it doesn't even have to make sense just play yeah. it and i guarantee you just play it in the middle of an action sequence of like the x-men just fighting like a sentinel or the marauders or something and i guarantee you not a single damn person in that theater will stay quiet for the whole minute however long 
that sequence goes because he'll be like, it's the f***ing theme. Yeah. I, I mean, that's pretty much the MCU in general, right? Like, it doesn't have to make sense. It's just fun, you know? Yeah. But getting back to Razor Fist, um, he is like a nice little mini, mini boss villain for Shang to fight. Um, I especially dug how they utilize, because you'd think like there's only an X amount of move a guy with like razor hands would have. But no, they actually like really played up that this guy, if he hits you, you are going to get mortally wounded or you're going to get killed. Like, I love like when Shang gets cut by him the first time and he's like, oh, crap, he touched me. Ooh, I got to move faster. <laughs> yeah. And we do see Shang, like, try to pick up the pace. Like, we gradually, throughout the movie, see him try to be faster so that, like, by the end of it all, he's, like, more coordinated. Like, like he's he'll still, like, get hit and whatever. But I, I feel like throughout the movie, there's this feeling that, yeah, he's getting better as he's learning more, like, kung fu and stuff. And I, I just really like seeing, like, his journey and what he's able to do. And, like, it, it's just so cool to see. Yeah. I will say, like, I know that they kind of build up um, Katie, you know, Aquafina's character, as, um, as like, his love interest. But uh, she just reminds me so much of Darcy, the you know, Darcy from the <laughs> Thor movie. Like... Her humor just does not work here. Like, there's a serious moment, and I'm like, after Shang-Chi, like, finds a dead family after Razor Fist butchered that family early, from earlier. And, like, he's just standing there, like, in the rain, just like, I failed these people. I'm, you know, how can I call myself a great warrior if I can't save the innocent? And I'm like, don't, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, don't you do it, movie. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. <laughs> and then Aquafina makes a joke, and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it reminds me of, um, I mean, go back to Iron Man 3. There's that moment toward the end where you think that Pepper dies in the fire. And then it's like super serious moment, sad music. And then Iron Man is trying to like take down a Killian and he tries to summon a suit. And then the suit breaks as it arrives to him. And it's like a laugh out loud moment. It's like real mood whiplash. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to like direct it at uh, the actress herself. I th it's just the writing. I feel because she's known for doing comedy, and she's really like she can be really funny. It's just I hate because every Marvel movie has this problem. It's not just this movie; it's every Marvel movie. Like, oh, we got to do a joke real quick for the kids. Um, and I, I was like, it just needs to stop. Just I was hoping Shang Chi would be different, especially after that intro that intro sequence of how, um, how heavy it was. And yeah. again, the whole massacre scene, but I'm like, Oh, you did it. And what the hell? It's just, it's just a running theme and it's getting old. <laughs> yeah. I, I think an exception to that uh, problem was the incredible Hulk. Like it did have a few jokes, but it never felt to me like they were trying too hard with the jokes. Like the incredible Hulk is kind of an anomaly where it's, a more serious MCU movie. And it was like, you know, at the start before they like figured out their own formula that they ended up running with. But yeah, it's kind of gotten predictable and kind of annoying that they rely so much on the jokes sometimes. It's like, you know, you don't have to always do that. Just tell 
a good story. If something happens and it feels heavy, just let it feel heavy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, oh, we're trying to do the Whedon thing of making the the jokes in the middle of a ser- serious situation to lighten the mood, but also like play around with the story. Like everyone's just trying. Like I, I, I blame Whedon's Avengers for that. <laughs> the only two that that I feel like it works. Like and and this is a and I use this term lightly, like with quotation of works, like Sean Gunn and Taika Waititi when they do it in Marvel movies, like they get it. Like oh, James and even Gunn. then, it's like yeah, James Gunn. Thank you. It definitely works with the Guardians. Uh, with Ragnarok, I felt like the first act, uh, most of the humor didn't work for me, except for when uh, Loki disguised as Odin says "oh," shit. <laughs> and then. <laughs> When, um, yeah, when Valkyrie stumbles out of the ship because she's drunk, I guess. Like, those were the only two jokes that made me laugh. And it didn't really pick up for me until the Hulk uh, comes into the movie. And from then on, it was smooth sailing for me for the most part. But then, like, toward the end, you get the annoying thing where uh, Bruce Banner kind of looks dead, but they play it off as a joke. And then later, the Hulk annoyingly... um fights the thing when he's not supposed to and it kind of like took me out of the immersion for a bit uh but for i guess for the most part um the humor worked for that movie yeah here it just felt like really misplaced like marvel kept saying oh it's gonna be like a serious kung fu movie and i'm like you said that before with mulan and it didn't work there and it ain't work. um like i mean with humor like tonally and again like maybe that's just that's just a curse for the marvel movies at this point yeah it's it's kind of like they have a hard time shaking it off and it's kind of hard for them to do so given that people have uh love have given a lot of criticism to some of the dc movies for being super serious so it, it kind of feels like some of the DC movies felt like an overreaction to um, or overcorrection type of thing where um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I feel like maybe at first they were trying to be different from Marvel, like to set themselves apart. And then uh, they realized, oh, we actually should have some humor. And like some of that worked for movies like Shazam and Birds of Prey, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but, like, I feel like Marvel, uh, at least at the moment, is it feels like they're trying not to, like, they feel kind of, they seem kind of afraid to make some of the missteps that people perceive DC to have made with their movies. And so they're like, eh, we, we're in our safe lane. We don't have to get too wild. Um, but I do want them to get more experimental, you know? Yeah. Um, and this is very experimental like doing a like su- like superhero kung fu movie uh yeah i mean and don't get me wrong the, the sequences the fight sequences are shot beautifully like if i was to give this movie for any like major praise and i do like this movie don't get me wrong but if i was to give this movie your praise it would be the fight sequences because they are beautiful yeah <laughs> did, did you have a favorite fight sequence in here Oh, yeah. My favorite fight sequence was... um, So, like, much of this movie is set in China, but I I really love the fight sequence where 
they go to Japan because like Shang-Chi figures out that that's where the Ten Rings are striking next. And, you know, they're on the rooftop and they're like running across different roofs and like just fighting and whatnot. And uh, like you, you even get like a couple of the supporting characters taking part. So it's like not just him and it's like multiple people. And I thought that was very well choreographed, um, especially when Shang-Chi um, like found a hammer luckily and was able to like use that on one of his opponents yeah to be clear for those who haven't seen the movie he's not talking like mjolnir or anything he's just talking like a construction hammer right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think for me my favorite fight is the one-on-one like second fight between razor fist and shang chi and it's just so it's shot so beautifully like this is something like right out of uh crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah, that, that's another one I've known of for a long time, but still need to see. Yeah. Um, I will say that my second, it's a tie because my second favorite is when Shang walks into the dojo and it's like, this is straight up a reference to Fist of Fury from Bruce Lee. And I get it because Shang-Chi was at Marvel's Bruce Lee. Like that was, that's all, that was his, always his thing was that Shang-Chi was based off of Bruce Lee. It was part of that whole Bruce Boitation era in the 70s right uh, um and he goes into the dojo and he's like looking around and then he just like whips out the nunchucks and i'm like okay you're okay now we're really doing bruce lee stuff yeah that looks really cool and it was funny because like i like the un- like the subplot that the tang rings have been like train are like they train the other agency like other evil groups in the marvel universe like they train hydra agents or aim or like and I like it, like, oh, we're, we're referencing AIM again. We haven't done that since Iron Man 3. Um, yeah. And we're I making ha- them, like, an actual film group. Yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, because it kind of feels like they're retroactively making it so that they were connected to everything. And, uh, like, in Marvel, like, it feels like every single thing has to be connected. But, so, like, there's a part of me that's, like, that feels too convenient, but also that is kind of cool, like, having the hindsight that they were kind of involved with these other organizations. So, uh, I mean, so I have mixed feelings about it, but I guess it doesn't matter too, too much, if that makes sense. See, for me, it's a little different because I'm okay with it because it's actually like a twisted version of like how actual U.S. soldiers are sent to train with like with Native Americans or um, Israeli special forces um, to learn their tactics. So that makes sense to me. It's like a twisted version of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and someone's going to go, hey, that doesn't, yeah, there's no, really. There, it, people wondering, there is like a protocol for U.S. special forces like Navy and um, Black Ops where they're trained by, in like Native American, like takedown tactics. So, yeah, it's actually not too dissimilar from that. And I was like, okay, that's a, so I, I was looking at it like it's, it's, yes, it's overly connecting everything, but at the same time, it's like, okay, we're, we're referencing at least some kind of real world um, thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you could see how they study stuff that's happened in real life and kind of repurpose that for the sake of this kind of story. Yeah, I do. I will agree with you though, that it does get a little overboard because they say like taskmaster trained with it. I'm like, okay, we get it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the taskmaster was a little much. Yeah. Speaking of connections, 
what did you think of Michelle Yeoh playing another character in the MCU here? Like, like she played um, Alita Ogord in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but here I, she plays Jiang Nan. Honestly, I forgot she was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 until I went home and watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I legit forgot she was in Guardians. And I'm not saying like she was forgettable. I just, she just had a small role. And then I watched the movie. I'm like, wait, that's Michelle. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she is a great actress. Um, like she's awesome in Star Trek Discovery. And I loved her here. But I'm kind of with you in that I forgot she was in Guardians until I like looked it up later. Because here's the thing, there's some Marvel movies where I've only seen them once and it was like in the theater and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is one of those, like I've only seen it once, like I loved it, but I haven't gone out of my way to rewatch it since then. Yeah, and someone's going to get mad at me in the comments or whatever, but that's the same way I am with Captain Marvel. It's not that I, I hated it. I just watched it once and went, I liked it. And then I haven't watched it again. It's like I've had no desire to watch Captain Marvel again because I was like, I liked it, but like, I don't need to watch it again. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like for me, I guess I remember the movies well enough. So like when Infinity War was coming out, um, people would be like doing these like 20 movie marathons or whatever it was to prepare for it. And me and my brother were like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, we remember shit. And um, like, I think I made a post one time where uh, it's like someone asks, um, have you, did you watch all the other MCU movies in preparation for Infinity War? And I said, yes. And they say, how long did it take? And I say, 10 years, because <laughs> I watched all them in the theater, you know? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I my ADD, my ADHD will just not allow me to sit that long rewatching <laughs> all the movies. Um, so, I um, and I also like how, and I, that's the other thing. Um, I guess going back to Michelle Yao is that, um, maybe we're just overcasting. Like maybe we're just getting to the point where there's just so many. There's only so amount of roles that characters like hell marcia shala ali is playing blade and he played um Cottonmouth in luke C in luke cage but yeah and, and i think Netflix there was an actress in luke cage who was also in civil war if i remember correctly exactly um so, but those are no longer in canon but it's still gonna bother me i know those netflix marvel movie and marvel shows almost said movies those marvel shows are no longer canon but it's still gonna bother me and it even bothers me more um that this is guardians of the galaxy is in canon and we still got this yeah like they haven't i don't think they've outright said that the netflix shows are non-canon but it kind of feels that way because you, you know it kind of feels like the star wars legends situation where it feels like there's not a whole lot of synergy between um that well, I guess it's kind of different because some expanded universe stuff tried to tie into the movies at the time. But it, it feels like with the Netflix stuff and the feature films, there wasn't as much synergy. Whereas, because I guess there was like a split and you had like Marvel Studios and Marvel Television. Uh, but for the Disney Plus shows, there's more synergy. Like it feels 
more connected. And so it's, it'll be interesting uh, seeing how that plays out. But yeah, that's kind of the vibe we're kind of getting is that the Netflix shows don't feel as canon as the Disney Plus shows. Yeah. Like they actually straight up reference, um, and this one, this movie can't help itself but realize it's saying it's connected to everything. Like there's a if you, there's an Easter egg, and I ha- and I looked this up, is that there's an Easter egg where um, in the Ten Rings HQ you see like they were looking up Wanda's like bubble in WandaVision, like they were investigating that too. Yeah, I gotta have that that cross media advertising. <laughs> Gotta tell the theater audience to, oh, go watch this on Disney Plus. Yeah. What did you think of the other supporting casts around Shang-Chi? I thought that they did their parts well enough. Like, you know, you had uh, Xiang Li and Xia Ling, as well as John John and and a couple others. And it's like, they they each did their part. I feel like they could have I, I guess if they wanted to, they could have added more screen time for them. But I also don't know what more they could have done with them because, you know, it's super focused on Shang-Chi for the most part. Yeah, this is Shang-Chi, not Shang-Chi and his amazing friends. <laughs> Just have Shang-Chi accompanied by the Human Torch. And um, who was the other one in that show? It, it was Iceman and Firestar. Oh, right. Okay. I was getting fire powered superheroes mixed up um yeah but that was a weird combination in that show yeah well it was actually supposed to be human torch but someone in i guess production said let's make um instead of human torch how about we make it a girl because a it's going to be weird that johnny's on a different team from the fantastic four and b corporate needs us to have a girl so and it's actually funny because a lot of people forget that firestar even though she's a mutant she actually her first appearance was on the TV show. She got transitioned into the comics. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Spider Man and his amazing friends is a show I have not gone through, but I know like the memes, you know. Yeah, but it actually turns forty later this year. That's wild. Yeah, I actually like. I used to watch it when it. Did you ever? Did you ever have Boomerang? Um, not personally. I think when visiting my cousins, uh, one time, like they had Boomerang. And so like, I knew what Boomerang was. I knew the shows it had, like all the old Hanna-Barbera stuff. Um, well, they used to, it used to be that they had played, um, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends on there. So that's where it was my first exposure to it. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I might check it out at some point. I just don't know when. Let's see, what else do I want to talk about? That this movie was packed with a lot of stuff. It's like, where do we even, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like I just I love the designs of the Ten Rings. Like they have like a really good aesthetic, and you just know that people are gonna like uh want to like buy Ten Rings merch, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's already market it's I can already tell it's being marketed for the next thing. And I like how the each of the rings looks so distinct it's from it's not like the 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 infinity stones which are like they all look the same but they're different colors here they're like the rings 
are shaped different around the the gems inside the rings. Yeah, and and like each of the rings, cor- like loosely, cor- just by the designs or etching on the rings, they like correlate to the powers they have. Yeah, like you could tell that the prop department was having a lot of fun designing these, and I love how intricate the de- designs are. It just goes to show all the time and care they take into these things. It's like they bring these objects out people are so used to seeing on the panel on the page and just bringing them to life and it's just eye candy yeah oh did you have a favorite ring design oh my favorite ring design um i think it would have to be um the one that the mandarin uses for hypnosis like i love the swirling effect and how trippy it looked like, we're not really used to seeing that sort of thing in these movies, but I really dug it. And, like, he, how he was able to use that to manipulate uh, some, like, minions of his own. And it was just, like, yo, <laughs> you better watch <laughs> out for this guy. Yeah. I would say my favorite ring would be the electro, the electro ring of just, like, how he just plunges it into, like, the power like a power station and just charges it up and just overloads the whole whole transformer. Um, And he just takes out an entire city just by overloading like this power station. I, I know there's a better word for it. I'm just, (laughs) I'm tripping over my words. I was just thinking like, if I was to pick a second favorite ring, it would be like the, the black light ring because I'm like black light. That's stupid. But no, it's makes utter darkness around him. And like that final fight between him and Shang-Chi, like he just, turns everything dark and Shang-Chi gets like his ass beat for a while. And then he has to like refocus and just listen for him. Like it's, he like, like he, and I also like how we didn't talk about this when we were talking about Mandarin earlier. It was like how he uses the rings in junction with his fight, hand to hand fighting. Like it's almost like, almost like something out of Avatar. Yeah. The, the last airbender. I I can see that. Yeah. Uh, Of course the, going back to the Electra ring, like, with the green and gold on there, like it's hard not to think of Electro, the Spider-Man villain, whom we they may actually have, see. They, they had to have been thinking of that. Um, yeah, they, that had to have been unintentional. Yeah, like even it's kind of like with um, even the shapes on it. Like it's like, oh yeah, that's definitely an Electro Easter egg. Yeah. Um, which is weird because we are getting electro. So why did why did you even bother with the reference if you're going to do it anyway? The impact beam ring was pretty cool. Um, I like how it's not like it's just, it's not like a disintegration ray. It's more like no cave your chest in. Yeah, and I like the inscriptions on them. Like if you look back, it's like um, there's the Chinese symbols for each of like their designation which again like it show don't tell. It's not like Mandarin is telling you each ring. It's like Oh, we're using visuals to convey the rings. That's a neat concept. I haven't seen that in a while in a Marvel movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is something I just remembered, but I did think it was kind of a bit much when they inserted that little flashback uh, to when like the Mandarin goes after Trevor Slattery and just kills him with his 10 rings for like being a like imposter, like trying to claim to be him. Like, it kind of felt tacked on, like it was just there to please uh, people like me who didn't like that twist in Iron Man 3. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, they could have done it without that. Yeah, 
And why did it have to be like added when he's has like a like um although I will admit it does pay off the whole skull on the Mandarin's throne, like the skull he keeps like petting and like tapping when he's upset or something. It's like, oh, that's Ben Kingsley's skull. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I I am with you that it does feel like it's kind of like how rise of skywalker treated last jedi it's almost it almost feels like that yeah i think i was kind of thinking of that in like the corner of my mind but yeah it does kind of feel like that yeah like we're retconning stuff because fans were so loud about it yeah it like it definitely has that vibe um i agree yeah i will say that um like i was going about the rings this is a very visual story too where like a Again, it goes into where the action tells the story or where the scenery tells the story. It's very much like, again, those classic Bruce Lee or any Kung Fu movie from the 70s where it depends more on show, don't tell. So I I will give the creators of this movie credit for like doing their homework. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also kind of I know we've kind of like criticized some of the humor, but I did get a good laugh when there was that moment where there's this fight going on in the streets, like at the crosswalk. And you see like all these tourists or whatever. And one of them is played by Jaden Smith. And he sees a Shang-Chi fighting and he's like, whoa, Kung Fu is pretty cool. And it's like, yeah, I I see what you did there, Marvel. I know Jaden Smith was in that Karate Kid movie that should have been called the Kung Fu Kid because he was doing Kung Fu, not Karate Kid. It, it was that one for me. It took me to realize, oh, that's Jaden Smith. The one that got me, that got me howling um, was uh, the Jackie Chan cameo where he like put after during it's the same fight scene too, where like Jackie pops his head out and he's like, hey, you kids stop. You kids stop. Or I, I call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> and he like he's like, don't make me come down there. And I'm like, how did they hide Jackie Chan in this movie? Yeah, being- they, they like we're really good at keeping that from leaking out. Yeah. Um, and I was, from then on, I was expecting Donnie Yen and Jet Li to make cameos too. Maybe we'll get, maybe that will be the running thing with the, with the Shang-Chi movies that Donnie Yen and like other Kung Fu experts will be like making camp fun little cameos in the movies. Yeah, that'd be cool. Did, did you ever watch Jackie Chan adventures like growing up? I love that show. Yeah. Yeah, that show was like my introduction to Jackie Chan. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he does all his own stunts in that show, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I It's funny because I feel like they didn't made a reference in, in the movie where he's like, because they bring Jackie Chan's character back for one quick scene because like Shang kicks a guy through his wind, through his apartment window and he's like, oh, bad day! and fl- And runs out of the room. I'm like, did they just reference Jackie Chan Adventures? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, that they definitely knew the audience for, or like some of the audience members for this movie may have seen that show. So it was cool to have those little Easter eggs and shoutouts here and there. Um, yeah. But, but what'd you think of the like final confrontation toward the end? It was. It's not one of my favorite fights. Um, here's where I feel like the editing got a little chopping, a choppy. But at the same time, I like how, like I was saying earlier, is like how Mandarin utilized the Ten Rings in corporation with his hand, with his martial arts, and how Shang had to like overcome that. 
Like he had to get in close to fight. Um, and Mandarin just was like, LOL. Nope. <laughs> Cause you do see how Mandarin is really like super powered and like Shang-Chi is struggling, but like, it's like throughout this movie, we get characters on the side wondering if he himself is a superhuman because we're so used to like superhuman characters in this universe. But it's kind of cool that he he's just good at Kung Fu. Like he, he's just a dude, you know? And like this final confrontation was really intense. And while he does end up getting the upper hand uh, when like they managed to get like a few of the rings off of Mandarin. Uh, I do appreciate that like his, that Mandarin's defeat wasn't like a permanent defeat. Like some Marvel movies have this problem where they just kill off the, the villain and they're never to be seen again. But here it's clear that like Mandarin will be back at some point. Yeah. Like after Shang breaks his hands, he's like, like he's like i'm gonna kill you like he's like because i love the moment where mandarin's like oh you're just gonna give me mercy and throw me away he's like no i'm gonna kill you and mandarin has that moment of well uh, yeah. <laughs> um but then like he gets away and you're like how the hell did he get away and we'll get to the mid like the end very end credit scene and talk about that and like how it ties into that final scene of how he got away um but no, I liked it. I'm glad we're not doing the whole let's kill off a character with potential. I'm hoping that's not the case with Kang the Conqueror in Quantum Mania. <laughs> yeah, and Razor Fist is in custody, but you know, he could break out. Yeah, so he could be back as well. He needs um, to go fight Wolverine again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we need him for the Wolver for the next Wolverine movie. Yeah. But I guess with that, we could just, since we touched upon it, we could just go into the credit scene while we're at it. Yeah. So the credit scene was really cool. Of Like, we finally, the mid-credit scene talks about the Ten Rings and their or their alien origin. And it then says, you know, the, you know, the rings are like, what is it? I'm trying to remember how it goes. It's like, Mandarin is talking to somebody, like the origin of the rings. And he says, they're talking to me. And the other guy says, what are they saying? He says, the Makluan are returning. And for those who don't know who the Makluan are, they're a race of alien dragons. That's where Fin Fang Foom comes from. So I guess the next movie will feature Fin Fang Foom. It could be interesting seeing how they tried to like retrofit that lore into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way that works and just feels right. Like it's it's kind of a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. Again, another Iron Man villain that we should have seen in Iron Man. Not here, <laughs> um, but we're seeing him here. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I just hope think, they handle I, it well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Have you have any idea of who Fin Fang Foom is? Because I freaked out when I was like, oh my god, Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, I like know the name, but I, I can't remember if I've ever watched anything that includes the character. He is like an um iron man villain he's an alien dragon um he was like one of stan lee's first creations okay. and um basically he's like from a race of intelligent alien dragons he's the guy who made the rings okay he he appears in the 90s iron man show i, I guess i just couldn't remember yeah he foom is uh think like the rings and him are like Shendu from the um Shendu and the Talismans from Jackie Chan Adventures. Think like that. Yeah. 
So the med- mid credit scene, I was like freaking out because finally we're getting Fin Fang Foom. Um, I just wish it was Iron Man fighting him, but, you know, I'll take it. And then the end credit scene. Oh, my God. If you want to talk about like what the big phase is. And again, it's another middle finger to DC. It's like we find out who the Mandarin was talking to in the mid credit scene. It's Baron Zemo. And he's like, if you know, the Avengers. But now there's time for a new um uh, for new masters to rise i'm like oh my we're doing the masters of evil yeah because you know falcon and winter soldier included zemo and so to have that connectivity here it's like really cool that and like if they're doing masters of evil you gotta wonder like will could ultron come back in a way like what's gonna happen well remember that abomination is still alive the leader was yeah. t- but we never did anything with the leader oh we need leader like i've been waiting years for that (laughs) um we could get modok um there is a lot yeah there's a lot of characters you could use yeah because i think agents of shield considered using modok but they were shot down by marvel studios because i guess they had plans for modok potentially yeah so Mo- there could be Modok. Um, there could be um, what's a Marvel char- Mar- MC a character you'd like to see part of the Masters of Evil? Oh boy. Um, okay, I'm trying to think of like what other Marvel villains there are who could like come back or be introduced for Masters of Evil. Um, we could do Sid, Red Skull's daughter. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, there's, like, a lot that they could do. Um, But, like, I myself have not read much about, like, Masters of Evil stories, so I legitimately don't know, like, what to expect. Yeah, they're basically, like, the big villains. Uh, They're, like, the anti-Avengers. They're, like, the... Actually, no, it's, like, Marvel's equivalent to Legion of Doom. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, do do you think they would ever do a movie where it's just from the villain's point of view? Or do you think that that's too risky for them to try? You know, honestly, I feel like they should because that's the one thing DC's beating them at is doing villain movies. Yeah, like Joker was really good. Yeah, Joker and I'm interested in Black Adam and James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Because, like, that's the thing you have to give DC is that they're trying at least different things with the villain movies. I want to see them just be like, okay, let's do a villain movie to compete with DC. Yeah, and I mean, there was that attempted Sinister Six movie from Sony, and we've had, like, the Venom and Morbius stuff uh, on their side. But for Marvel Studios proper, it's like, they haven't experimented much with like villain movies. So like, I mean, they could try it. Like people are just already have a lot of faith in Marvel. Like they'll see it regardless. Yeah. Um, you could have them like, and you don't even need them to win. You just need to like, like just have it be like evil Avengers coming together to fight like a hero or something. Uh, just have the villains lose, but at the end they have an inspirational speech about how they should keep on trying to spread their evil. <laughs> just never give up. Never, never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> dude, dude Modoc should be played by Tim Allen. <laughs> yeah, I was, 
That was not who I was thinking of. I was thinking like maybe Wallace Shawn, but who knows? <laughs> or actually, you know who'd make a good um uh, a good Modoc? Um, Ron Howard's brother. Oh uh, yeah, um, something Howard. Chris Howard, right? Is it Clint Howard? I think it's Clint Howard. It That's might it. Be Clint, Clint, Clint Howard. Howard. Yeah, Clint uh, Howard. Dude, yeah. Clint Howard would be such a good Modoc. Uh, I could see that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I guess we could go into final thoughts and score out of ten. Uh, and we, when we do score out of ten, th- this is something I've, we've started doing recently on the podcast. We choose a unit of measurement. It could just be a random thing from the movie. So, like, it could be, um, like, for example, for Batman versus Superman, I might say, oh, I give that. Four out of ten um, jars or whatever. Right, right. Because of that awkward scene. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I hear you, man. All right, so what are your final thoughts and score out of ten for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Um... I would say that it's a balanced movie. I will say the humor does get in the way, but the action scenes and the internal story and just the scenery, this movie better get an Oscar for cinematography, just how beautiful some of the shots are, at least a nomination. What am I talking about? It will get a nomination. Disney will have that much money. Um, <laughs> I I give it a 7.5 of the 10 rings out of 10. Oh, that's actually a good one. I think I was thinking of using that as a measurement, but then I forgot like as we were recording um <laughs> but yeah i think i i may have enjoyed this one a bit more than you did but we I, I can see that we agreed on a bunch of points like yeah there was misplaced humor here and there but the choreography was like really good and i was like really appreciated that they brought shang chi as well as the mandarin and like other characters to life in this way And it makes me excited to see a sequel to this. Because, like, before this movie, I knew, like, nothing about Shang-Chi. And now I'm invested in him. And that's the magic of, like, Marvel movies where, like, they can introduce you to a character you're not familiar with. And then you want to see more of them. Uh, So for me, I'm going to give this one 8.75 Jaden Smiths. (laughs) <laughs> out of 10 <laughs> you know if it wasn't for the rings i should have done seven and a 7.5 disgruntled jackie chans <laughs> nice all right well thanks again for being on this uh mr multiverse where can people find your stuff uh you guys can find me on mr multiverse on youtube uh i do fun geek nerd centric stuff uh just shooting the shit about just random ideas and topics that come up and my thoughts and you'll hear a disgruntled uh 30 year old man talk about comics but that's youtube in general so i think you're not <laughs> far off nice nice <laughs> disgruntled 30 year old man and youtube name a more iconic duo <laughs> <laughs> exactly Right. And speaking of the multiverse, if you're from this universe or that other universe where movies got delayed, you can email this podcast, Delayed Replay, at delayed replay podcast at gmail.com. 
let us know what you think of our coverage or any of the movies or just about anything. I mean, you've heard our tangents, like you, lots of topics you could just email about. Um, you can find me on uh, online at Steven Schinder on Twitter and Instagram, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. I have a fantasy horror comedy novel uh, called Lemons Loom Like Rain, which is available on Amazon. More info on that at stevenschinder.com. I'm also on a Star Trek podcast called Star Trek Culture. Uh, so, you know, we talked about Discovery Season 3, which had Michelle Yeoh, and, uh, and we're currently on a rewatch of the original series, as well as covering some of the latest news. You can find that at the Culture Slate YouTube channel. And yeah, so thanks again, Mr. Multiverse. No problem. This is a lot of fun. Um, I would love to do this again sometime in the future. Oh, yeah. I, I Okay, I'll, I'll ask you about something when, when I wrap up here. But uh, without further delay, have a good day.